And all I can say is that one of those people screaming in the background was in fact me. Possibly one of the best live gigs I have ever seen. Mumford and Sons featuring Baba Mal when they came to South Africa. You know what they say, vaccinations are a gateway drug to live concerts. So get vaccinated so that we can go and watch concerts like that once again. Don't forget to send us your big fat juices. I see some of you have already started. Uh, Donald in Rustenburg saying that our short left today is the Kruger National Park. No, Donald, you're wrong. As does Tapelo think it's the Kruger National Park. No, Tapelo, you're wrong. So we will keep listening out to you. You can WhatsApp us, you can SMS us, you can send us those big fat juicies, the songs that bring you great joy. We're going to go to a story now, which is all about something that has been described as the insect apocalypse. It's an unexplained decline in the world's insect population. On the line, we have Professor Marcus Byrne. He's the professor of entomology at Wits University. He's the author on a paper that recently appeared in the journal Global Change Biology. Prof Byrne, thank you so much for joining us. Morning, Michelle. Thanks for the invitation. So, first of all, when we talk about an insect apocalypse, what are we talking about? Basically, a worldwide decline in numbers of insects and numbers of insect species. So it's something that has really dawned on us very slowly over the last few years. And people have measured it in different places. So um, the first study was a, a study in a national park in Germany yeah. over a, an 80-year period. And then there was another study in Costa Rica, also in a nat natural area. And then other studies have come to support these findings that insect numbers are declining all over the world. So you guys have been doing some very specific tests at WITS with um, one of my favorite insects, actually, is little dung beetles. The challenge, of course, is that when I say little, they have become littler. Explain to us uh, what's happened. Yeah, w it was totally serendipitous. We were testing cacti. We were growing cactuses in different uh, levels of carbon dioxide just to see what would happen to the state of the plant in terms of insects having to eat it. And um, we were pretty certain we knew what would happen because it's happened with other plants that they get more carbon in them as you put them in a higher um, carbon dioxide environment. And because these plants were growing in enormous chambers, they're like walk-in fridges. Um, we thought, well, why don't we grow some dung beetles in there as well? and see if it has any effect on the insects. And lo and behold, they um, took longer to develop, they emerged smaller, um, and they were less likely to survive their development at, as the carbon dioxide level increased. So Prof, one of the things that I was interested in is you virtually took um, three different scenarios in terms of the amount of carbon dioxide or CO2 that you put into the space. Explain how you did that and what that meant. It was basically mimicking different, it was four scenarios, different conditions. Yeah, yeah correct, four scenarios. And we were able to reach back in, into the past because we were able to set the carbon dioxide level lower than it is at the current level. So we went to pre-industrial levels 200 years ago, then we went to current levels, what we call ambient, and then we went into the future 30 years and we went into the future 50 years. And we found even at 
current uh, ambient carbon dioxide levels, the beetles are negatively affected by the atmosphere that they are growing up in. So if this is happening to beetles and we are trying to understand what it is, I mean, I'm assuming it's something that's impacting on what they're eating, the the actual little dung balls that they roll. I mean, I understand that those are what are fed to their young. What is happening? The short answer is we don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, and that's the great thing in science is, oh, that's cool. Let's go and find out some more. Yeah. Um, so we think it's the microbes that live either in the soil or live in the dung ball with the beetle. And that's why the finding actually has much wider implications beyond yeah. dung beetles. Sure. Because so many insects spend a huge portion of their life in the soil. Dung beetles are insects of the soil. If the microbes in the soil are benefiting or changing somehow under elevated CO2 and stealing nutrients or stealing oxygen from underground insects, this our little finding with dung beetles could then be extrapolated to the insect apocalypse and say, well, this could be a reason why insects are declining all over the world. I mean, it could then, well, you could then go and look at ants, you could at a later stage start to look at earthworms, you could at an even later stage look at moles. I mean, I imagine that that would be the trajectory. Yeah, because um, as air-breathing organisms, the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is absolutely trivial. You know, we don't notice any change in CO2 unless it becomes really poisonous. Yeah. But, you know, when we breathe in and out, you exchange a hundred times um, more CO2 builds up in your lungs than is in the atmosphere. So we are not sensitive to the levels that we're talking about. But if we've got an air-breathing animal here that is, it's, biology, its physiology, its development is affected by that CO2, it could extend to many, many other animals living underground, as you've suggested. Yeah. Prof. Marcus, what's the way forward? Well, you know, for us, it's cool. We get to do some more cool experiments. We try and pick it apart and we try and identify um, who is the, the agent of this change. But I think for the planet, you know, the obvious thing is that we've got to stop uh, producing carbon dioxide. We all know about climate change. We know about increasing temperature um, and changing weather. But all those effects are patchy. You know, for, for instance, down here in South Africa, we're going to suffer the sharp end of the heat stick because we're going to suffer massive temperatures. Whereas in Northern Europe, some of those areas are actually going to get colder and get better rainfall. This blanket of carbon dioxide across the planet and into the soil is literally ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And we've now got an effect, we think, is in every corner of the planet and in our soil where we grow our crops. We need to switch off our carbon dioxide production as soon as possible. So we do have a listener who says, do you think that too much artificial light could be a factor for confusing insects? Uh, yes, we've just published another paper on that a couple of weeks ago, that, and we use, again use dung beetles as our um, white mouse, our lab rat ex, ex animal there, and we found that dung beetles, we actually rolled them in the middle of Johannesburg, we had them on the roof of Wits uh, University, and they were very confused 
by the city lights. And particularly the sky glow, if you go out at night, you, the reason we can't see the stars is because the sky is literally glowing from the light that comes yeah. up from the city. Yeah. So yes, uh, light pollution is also a problem, but it's also patchy. Okay. And, and, and that's why we think it, it isn't as important as the effect that we've found. Mm. Professor Marcus Byrne, Professor of Entomology at Fitz University, he's uh, also the author of a paper that's recently uh, been released looking at global change in biology, talking about what has been described as an insect apocalypse. The unexplained decline in the world's insect populations could be to do with the elevated atmospheric CO2 levels. At 7.25, we cross over to our SABC education feature, and today they asked the young people of our country, it's not only Heritage Month, it's also Tourism Month. Can you name the tourist attractions that we have in South Africa?